Hello and welcome to another episode of Art Generation on Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and this week it's a typical QPR FA Cup third round performance to discuss. Also uh, with the looming prospect of an away trip to Reading coming this Saturday. Joining me to discuss the misery that is QPR is Micah Chudley and Ben Summer. Guys, welcome back. Hi Alex. Good evening. Um, A back-to-back podcast appearance for you Ben I think that's probably about as rare as Tyler Richards actually getting some minutes on the pitch is it not yeah this is um I'm I'm meant to be on the bench and I'm way out of my depth (laughs) (laughs) that's perhaps harsh on uh Richards maybe that's a I don't know I I don't want to compare name a player player, Alex let's do this let's see if you insult me or the player more (laughs) (laughs) I don't I mean there's what there's one thing that comes to mind. He did play on Saturday, but he's you're much better than Nico Hamalainen. So I'm Remy Ote. That's who I am. Yeah, we'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah, a pretty What's good FA Cup record for him, wasn't it? He scored a penalty in the a game against Leeds, didn't he? Remember that game quite well. Um, <laughs> of course, uh, we do also have a new signing to run the rule over. Uh, but before that, some pain, some misery, some usual FA Cup fare. Um, this result, guys, probably, you know, looking back on it on the clear light of day, this was probably very predictable, wasn't it? This is a side that, you know, aren't in great form ourselves at the moment. Fleetwood, a team that have never got further than the third round of the FA Cup. QPR, you know, now statistically the worst FA third round team in history um this was predictable surely yeah it was quite funny because um i was <clears throat> i was reading the um you know uh the bbc on football focus they have someone that does their predictions don't they every week for the premier league and they did it for the mm. fa cup and i i just scrolled down because obviously it's normally the premier league so i wanted to see what they said about us scroll down it's chris sutton by far you know not the brightest or most respected pundit um on television he predicted Fleetwood to beat us 1-0 and then then the guy said in response oh that's a bit of a shock and he said QPR have the worst record in the FA Cup third round it would be a shock if they won and that um I would say probably summed it up really I think to be fair he's got something a little bit wrong I think we were we've become the worst team this time round, haven't we? With 51. I think we were joint with Plymouth. It was joint before. Saturday. Yeah. We've got that on our own. I mean, let's look, you know, looking back on the last couple of FA Cup seasons, we had that quarter final. Was it no, it wasn't quarter final. Fifth round, wasn't it, against Watford? Hey, fifth round. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, that yeah. feels like we went incredibly deep into the tournament. Um last season was fourth round exit to Peterborough, season before that, third round exit to Fulham, and I can't, I cannot tell you what I'm happened. Season that you before. remember all of these? I, I just genuinely we beat Swansea. I, didn't I, we, I, at one point I will admit I'm round. on the I'm on the Wikipedia page for the Fulham one now, trying to remember what happened that season. But it, it's weird because it it does feel like although we've not done any better in the last few seasons than we have generally, it sort of felt like we were maybe shaking off that inevitability about it. I mean, I remember like for instance, even the games that we've gone out in the third round. Say the one against Sheffield Wednesday. Before you continue this point, you are very optimistic. You are incredibly optimistic. Like we were creeping. Get ready, get ready, because this, 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 um, this isn't going to end on an optimistic note. Okay. Uh, The game where we went out Sheffield Wednesday, 
there was the weirdness around do you start Naki Wells or not? We don't start him. He goes, gets recalled and gets sold. And that's like, yeah, QPR going out in the third round, but because of a really obvious demonstrable mistake. So you can go, oh, that's that's just a bad thing that we've done. You've got the good, decent sort of runs in both Cups last season. and you Well, not fantastic in the FA Cup, a good run in the League Cup and winning games in Cups and going, oh, maybe this is okay then. The Fulham one, I remember us playing pretty well for like a lot of that game. Um, and it was it was two relatively late goals. I'm just looking at 104th minute and 108th minute. Yeah. And you think, oh, well. And I remember coming away from that game going, we were good, we need a finisher. And then we signed Charlie Austin and he was good that well, season. And it Charlie was like, oh, Austin fantastic. was actually in the stands for that, wasn't he? That, that exactly, was... yeah. You, people would like sort of snuck up behind the stadium and saw a silhouette of Charlie yes, Austin. Yeah, like, yeah. And my, and my, no one else was allowed in, but he was. Yeah, well, my point there being that in the last few seasons, we've either been good enough in the cup and won a game or two, or when we've lost in the cup, it's been for a really obvious, stupid reason. Whereas this just felt like we lose because we were going to lose and because we're QPR and because it's the third round and because it could not have been more nailed on with the nature of the opposition that we were facing. Um, yeah, we're not in fantastic form, but you can sort of see what Critchley's doing with the team, and you've had a good performance against Sheffield United. It was, it was just so. It was, it was the inevitability that I thought we'd gotten rid of, basically. Yeah, do you know what? I, I, I do. I see what you're saying in terms of the cup thing, because obviously with the cup run last year, it was kind of felt like we were robbed a little bit of that. Well, we were robbed. Weren't there we? wasn't the, a kind of of, of it. We. We were yeah. Keith Stroud should never be allowed to referee one of our games again, and yet he's no. refereed several since. But I digress. But I get it, and because I remember I went to the Charlton game in the League Cup at the start of the season, and I remember going thinking a little bit, "Oh, we did well in the League Cup last year. You know, maybe maybe this will be the year." And and we were a little bit unlucky. I feel is is a worldie that stopped it. But I I was kind of hoping I did enjoy I enjoyed the cup run last year so rare for us I really enjoyed it mm. so I was hoping well maybe we can do something in the FA Cup but if I'm completely honest with you even before we went on this run of form when we drew Fleetwood I was like oh this is such a QPR game to lose in the FA Cup you see I have a theory that if you collected some of the world's greatest players you know Messi Neymar anyone that you want anyone that you think is outstanding at playing football you could play them in a in a QPR team and throughout the season they would probably do really well but put them in a QPR team in the third round of an FA Cup and waft Fleetwood in front of them and because they're just playing for QPR we will lose that game like doesn't mm. matter how much quality is on the pitch there's better teams than this team that have lost FA Cup mm. games there's worse teams probably that have uh gone through perhaps on the odd occasion but definitely worse teams that have also lost it's kind of funny and I think there's a little it will be a little bit of a buzzword around the club at the moment but it's funny how a culture develops isn't it you know like that we're not expected anything in the FA Cup and we will look I guess a little bit deeper into the sort of ongoing culture at the moment in the Mm. actual team but when it comes to FA Cup third round you can't expect anything, can you? You can't. I, I let myself get excited every year, but you can't. You shouldn't. I shouldn't do, should I? I... Well, it, it's also funny in that, like, because I, I agree that, that the culture has to be criticised. I think probably some of the immediate criticism after the game. I'll, I'll add, I wasn't at the game. I didn't actually get to watch it in full. So I, the people that watched it get get dibs on on having a hot take on it. 
I think some of the criticism might have been very slightly overblown, but there was a problem. And you, you hear and have seen clips that there are problems with body language and with, with de basic defending and things like that. Um, but what's weird is that with the turnover of players that we have, how many of the players in the side today played when we went out to Sheffield Wednesday under Mark Warburton in his first season? Um, and how many of the coaches that are on the bench with um, with Critchley were in Warburton's coaching team? Like that, I don't I don't understand. If a problem goes deep, you can blame the board and you can have a go at the board and talk about Les and Lee and all of the rest of it. But fundamentally, I do not think we have got a bad squad quality wise. I don't think that, and I don't think that we have been failed by them in terms of signing a decent squad of players. Is it an automatic promotion squad? Maybe not. That's a different question. But if the if it's not if the players haven't been there all that long, the manager's only just got here, and I don't think that the board have made bad signings. What is the culture, and where does it come from? Because it is a thing. Mm. You know what? My my kind of take on it a little bit as I was speaking with Dad, and we'll obviously get onto the Jamal Lowe signing. But I like the Jamal Lowe signing just for the fact that we kind of got into this academy education kind of obsession under Warburton. I'm not trying to blame Warburton. We got to this obsession with these like kind of academy educated players that have been in top clubs academy since they're eight and nine. Um, <clears throat> and a little bit of the problem with that is, is that when you bring those guys in that have been released from a top club, the first thing you want to do when they've had to drop down a level is rebuild that confidence, you know, say, oh, you know, you're good enough. You you wouldn't have been playing for Spurs. You wouldn't have been playing for Arsenal or whoever else um, if you weren't a good player. <clears throat> what happens is, you know, it's just a theory, obviously, with those guys once, you know, they start playing well. You know, I'm not, <clears throat> not saying Sam Field is one of them, but Sam Field, for an example, has been in a decent academy his entire career, hasn't really got game time, comes to not a massive club, but a, a decent-sized championship team at QPR, playing week in, week out. Oh, I am actually, like, good. I am of a, at that level. And then, you know, players kind of start to believe their own hype. Again, I'm not saying it's Sam Field. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. And I personally don't think Sam Field is one of them. Um, but with that, you get this idea of, oh, I'm Mr. Big Shot. You know, I, I I proved myself at this level. I've played at a better level. I'm too good for Fleetwood away. Or I'm too good for Peterborough away. Or, oh, we're third in the league because of me. I can take my foot off the gas. What we lack a little bit, and it's quite funny considering, you know, Les, Andy MP and Paul Hall's kind of their rise in the game, is we lack a little bit of, like that diversity of journey in essence. I saw somebody tweeting about it this week and I think they were spot on. I can't remember who, um, <clears throat> but it's this idea that, you know, we don't have those guys that have like worked the way up through the leagues anymore. or We don't have those guys like a Jamal Lowe that's like, oh, I was literally playing for my life, like playing for my livelihood mm -hmm. at Hamilton and Richmond and wherever else. We don't have those guys. So when the going gets a bit tough, I just often, you know, end the last season being the example you just look and you can almost feel when we're going to lose a game because you can see it. The players just don't believe that we're going to win. Uh, we get into these, we get into these winning runs and we we start to believe our own hype. Uh, we get into these losing runs and there's nobody that's there like dragging the team, like let's get, let's get together, you know, let's sort it out. Um, that's a real concern for me because, you know, we're in a funk right now. We are in a serious, serious funk. We're almost reaching end of last season levels now. I think it's three goals in 10 games we've scored. Mm. And, you know, you can put the blame on the strikers. You can put the blame on the people creating the chances all you want. But we're in a serious funk as a team. Like, the entire team's in a funk. And, you know, who who is that guy that's going to pull them together? Who's the Clint Hill? I hate to do that Twitter cliche. 
But who's the Clint Hill, you know? Who's the guy that's going to, you know, make sure everybody's taking accountability? This is the I funny just... thing because you see it. I've seen it. It used to happen a lot more, less so now. But even after Saturday, I can't remember whose tweet I looked at. And I went into the comments and I got about five comments down. And someone said the whole team are pathetic, apart from the only ones that actually show effort are Jimmy Dunn and Sam Field. And it always kind of, I, I always got, uh, hacked off about that in the past because I kind of thought, well, you know, they're, they're players that by nature, they kind of, you know, they run around a bit. Sam Field's job most of the time is to win the ball back and he doesn't really do much else than that. And he's very good at winning the ball back, but Jimmy Dunn's directly at fault for at least one of the goals. And he, you could argue plays a little bit of a role in the second. How is he sort of, just because he sort of, he's got passion or whatever. How's he getting a free ride over this? Because he was awful and he has been awful at times this season. Um, and it's just because it's the, he, he, like you say about this sort of journey that these players have been on, he's come out of what he played for Burnley, didn't he? It was at Man United. Man, Man United. He's a sort of like, I'm sure he's a really nice guy. And I think some people see him as a sort of a bit of a tough man on the pitch, but I kind of get the feeling that he's sort of like a, He's not a genuine one, is he? Like he's kind of he's angry at all the wrong times, and it's specifically after that goal. Clive Whitnam describes it really well in his um, review of the match that he basically sprinted after the referee the length of the pitch to argue about some sort of nonsense handball. You can't. I don't know where this handball is meant to be, uh, but it's not. Anything they, they, we've not, they've not made a foul, they've not done anything wrong, and he's screaming in the referee's ear. Then he's doing it all at the wrong time. That sort of attitude, that sort of which it is something that we're missing, you know, to get in the ear of the referee. We just don't ever seem to get it right, even those players that by our own fans are perceived in a certain type of way. And it, I think it plays into that sort of journey, sort of thing, like you said, everyone's comes from academy they all think they're much better than this and they think and they're not, better not, than I'm Fleetwood not, I'm not trying to suggest that they they've all got inflated egos or they're anything close to the squads we had in the early part of the 2010s because I've seen some people say that I don't think it's the case that the players don't care at all I think a lot of them do care about mm. QPR I wonder if they care enough that's the problem do they care enough about holding themselves accountable do they care enough about the whole team being held accountable. I don't think it's a case that these guys don't want to play for QPR. They're definitely not here for the money. It's just, you know, are are they pushing them? We know how good they can be. Like Ben said, it's a good squad. It's a good squad. There's teams, in my opinion, with squads and players not as good as us that are above us in the league. What's the difference? Yeah. Are we pushing ourselves enough, you know? Can I do a bit of a sort of psychological evaluation here as well? In terms of like, are you, are you I qualified? don't... I don't... No, um, go, go I, I'm going to go for it. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't want to go in too much on the individual character of individual players. Um, at, uh, to mention Jimmy Dunn for an example, I have defended him a lot, and I will sort of continue to defend him as a decent enough player at this level, and I think a good personality to have. There are ways in which the other day we've seen, like you say, goes chasing after slightly the wrong things, maybe gets angry at the wrong things, and that that is a criticism to have. The point that I'd make in terms of diversity of journey is that. We've got players with real character, but it's different sorts of character. And you look at what Ethan Laird said to us about Leon Balogun being um, a vocal leader. 
um, and always in his ear and that sort of thing. And that's only one part of being a leader on the pitch. We're going to talk about a Clint Hill. Clint Hill had a lot of things about him. Look at Ilias Chair, for example, the stories about him playing football barefoot, barefoot on concrete um, against players who are wearing studs. That builds character and you can see that it's built character because he runs and runs and runs and he, he gets frustrated at himself and he does get frustrated at referees sometimes. That doesn't mean that he's necessarily a captain that brings the team together and, and, and looks at the people that aren't holding themselves accountable. And that's not a criticism of Ilias Chair. It's just that we've got players who have got that 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 grit and that character, but in different places mm. to each other. And I think when you combine that and put it all together, um, maybe it makes a Clint Hill <laughs> character-wise. And that is, I, I'm going to stop invoking Clint Hill because I hate it as much as as much as you do. But I, do I, like I, get, him, I guess that's my point: is that is that there's there's a, there's a space between a squad of characterless mercenaries and where we are now, um, and it's because a different little bit of character is distilled into each of them, but. I think it's missing, though, what we is saw the other still day. a bit of streetwise. And I really hoped when we signed Johansson that um, that was kind of like a big way to sort of yeah, finding a solution. Did. I mean, yeah, he's he's always injured, which is the issue. He's a He is by and far our best midfielder. But when he played against us, I always remember him being a right rat but then also yeah. being completely classy at the same time when playing football. Yeah. He's not ne- necessarily like... Who's that guy who played for Preston? Who? Is it ben Pearson. Ben Pearson. Like, let's be honest. The you know mm. limited footballer made a career out of being a rat and getting in the refs ear and being nasty. And he just happened to be in the right place at the right time for Preston. I thought that when we signed him, Johansson had a bit of that in him, but he never seems to do that anymore. And it it does come down to a not only a club culture, but it's clearly something that that being asked not to do. I imagine. Because we're top well, of the fair it, play. You said it loads of times on the pod, Alex. You said loads about how the refs always say that we're the nicest yeah. team in the league. And that, uh, in, in a league like the Championship, and then against a team that's managed by Scott Brown, you can't do that. You can't be like that. You can't be that nice. You can't. That, that just really frustrates me. Like, you, you know, football is meant to be the beautiful game and there's really nice aspects to it. But, you know, this is. We, this is the championship sort of like you're down in the trenches like you have to be like a complete shit house you have to do whatever it takes to win and it doesn't always mean playing really nice football it means sort of being the worst person on the pitch and we don't have that we don't have that other teams have that in spades and when they come up against us it's it's the same same old story every time we're just a complete soft touch uh, so let's look at the team news then. Uh, and it's funny because look at the 11 that we put out last Saturday and there's a lot of players there that will be probably playing this Saturday against Reading. Yet when the team was announced, I think the vibe I got was that there's a little bit of disappointment that there wasn't more changes to the 11. Was that Would, would you guys agree with that? I'm going to say no, just, just off the fact that one, Hammerlinen played, um, and two, uh, I kind of understand a new manager, a new formation, team out of form, League One team, let's try and maybe restore some confidence amongst the starters. So I personally wasn't too bothered about it. So um, yeah. as you've mentioned there, Nico came in, which is obviously always a good sign. Kakai uh, starts after, you know, having a good performance against Sheffield United, earning a lot of credit there. 
I think he maybe dashed a lot of that credit away pretty quickly here, unfortunately. Uh, Dazelle came in for Iribunum. Again, we'll touch on that and why that uh, sort of highlights a problem that we were talking about last week. And then a Doma for uh, Roberts as well. So that means Masterson, who I thought might have had an opportunity, Armstrong as well, who's you know knocking about and you'd hope might get a few more minutes at some point. But mo- for me, especially with what news broke earlier that week or afterwards, I don't know, I can't quite remember when, but Richards didn't start. Uh, so when you're potentially going to be signing a player um, to make space for another loan, which we're probably not going to get now, but that was the theory that was getting you know chucked about and it was released to West London Sports. So there must be some sort of truth behind it because I don't think they post stuff without it being pretty much 100% true. Um, you look at the fact that Richards couldn't start in that game and you do wonder what on earth are we doing? That I think yeah. is the main contention. I'd say with Richards, I would I would tend to agree with you again. And as so much has sort of seemed to happen this season, unless there's some little injury thing that we don't know about. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. I agree with Micah in the broader point that you don't, I think, as a new manager, want to be seen to suddenly be chopping and changing. Um, it's a similar point I've got really about um, Critchley only choosing after this game to really go in on the players and the mentality. Because I think you do that too early as a manager. And then any games you lose are by default a failure to challenge that. Um, and I think sort of similarly, he'd back himself into a corner a little bit. I think if he's changing and we lose, oh, you've got to change it again and we lose again. It's good. You know, so I, I understand that. For me, and, and also, sorry, getting um, getting Willock some proper minutes, I understand, and getting him starting next to Chair, where we know he's he's the best version of him and Chair is the best version of himself. I understand all of that. And I could sort of see it as a justification for, for instance, not playing Armstrong, who's a player who I still would like to see get some serious minutes um Richards is a bit of a weird one and I don't I don't quite know what's going on there well even like with Masterson we've got two center backs that are seem to be one's incredibly injury prone one's you know being injured for a good period of time now that we're not actually going to be keeping I hope beyond the end of the season in Balligan I thought maybe when you've only got two fit starters you you might give your reserve a little bit of a go because Masterson's been in and around the squads. I saw him sort of warming up at the Sheffield United game. That I think, you know, uh, we joke that this is going to be this was a predictable result, but mm. I would have. I, I think that you could have at least made room for Masterson and Richards. But I mean, that's that's. I, I understand a lot of that. I think it is a little bit hindsight in terms of. If we'd have lost that game and looked really disappointing and Masterson had been in the side, whether or not that has anything to do with him, because I think he's quite a good player, but if he had been in the side and we'd have lost, do you not think you'd have got people going, a manager doesn't even want well, to bother with the a, cup a, now? A, absolutely, definitely. But, you know, at the same time, if you're going to give Nico Hammer line in the start ahead of some of these other yeah, players... Yeah, no, okay, so fair point. Yeah. You kind of... That, that, that feels a little enforced, though, don't you think? Cause, I mean, yeah, it's, know, I mean, the reason power. behind it, obviously, is to rest Powell, but sort of like, I would have accepted a very square peg in a round hole instead of hammerlining i mean like i think you know as people have been saying this week as with every manager looks at shadipo every manager looks at hammerlining and every manager will very quickly realize that hammerlining is not up to it 
So I get it. You know, this is an opportunity to rest our two really overworked left and right backs. But, you know, I don't know. Find someone else, please, that could fit into that left back position ahead of him. Um, I don't know. It seems yeah. seems redundant playing him, Micah. It, it, it's, it's tricky for me because, I mean, yeah, if you look at the five subs we made, two of them were both the fullbacks in the end, <laughs> which, which says a lot. And then the rest was uh, Chris Willock, who looks less and less and less like Chris Willock every week. Andre Dizal, who's running out of time to figure out what it actually is that he does at QPR and in football in general, because this isn't the first club for to have the same complaint about him. And Albert Adoma, who's like 105. So it's like you you, you look at that and it's well, hmm. I I understand to an extent why people were like, we may as well have changed it up. Because it's like, you know, what did we expect in essence? But at the same time, I think, to be honest with you, this might have been the wake-up call that that set of players needed, specifically the ones that are struggling for form at the moment, the Dizals, the Willocks. It might be the wake-up call they needed, in all honesty. Well, you know, let's be re- realistic about Willock. I think there's probably been an offer for a new contract on the table for him for a long time. And it's I can't quite remember when his contract expires. Um, it's this but, year, but we have an extra option, which I imagine we'd exercise. Yeah. He's not going to be signing that deal. He realises, yeah. like the rest of us, that there's no market for him to move to another championship club at the least. He's not pulling up trees at the moment, so he's not going to go to a Premier League club. So the best opportunity for him to move on from QPR is to not sign a new deal, and he'll go in two years' time. That's the reality of the situation. So any money that we can get for him, it's a, it's another... It's going to be another Manning situation, unfortunately, unless something we, changes. We we have to learn from it and accept that even if it's a fee that we feel as fans he's not worth, we're gonna to have to take it. Yeah, you know, we got him for seven hundred and fifty k. And if we were to that's sell a profit, it, so yeah. yeah, if we were to sell it for four mil, it's a profit. You know, it might it might upset people, but yeah, Josh Bowler just went for four mil. So you know, you've got to really just take what you can get in the championship these days. Yeah, so you know. I think he he's looking elsewhere. I don't think it would be harsh to sort of say that, or he's you know looking to protect himself from the injuries that he's picked up recently. I think when you have a couple of hamstring injuries, it's it's difficult to sort of I guess go full throttle into something um, mm. and have confidence in your body. But at the same time, there's no way that you can kind of again. I'm no expert in these matters, but. I can't imagine there's any sort of particular way you can sort of prevent that when you're playing football. It's kind of like, if it happens, it happens. Um, but anyway, uh, where were we? Uh, so, the goals. All three goals from both teams come from uh, set pieces. Uh, let's start on our one. Um, quality play this, isn't it? Just, you know, like just a repeat of the Preston goal. Um you know, the only thing that I, when I looked at it, that I I could say what was good was that Dykes does just about well enough in heading the ball backwards, considering he's being flung to the floor by their centre-back or defender or whatever. Apart from that, this is a disgusting goal and everyone involved should be ashamed. <laughs> yeah, and I think the worst part, I think Critchley said this after the game. I can't remember if it, 
can't remember if he said this or one of the players said this, but something about um it being the worst thing for us at the time because mm. you know we'd go in one 0 up thinking we we're playing well, and that goal. The the goal and the circumstances of the actual goal were just so undeserved. Like I don't I couldn't tell you like how Sam Field is stood there to bundle that ball in the back of the net. It's so scrappy and kind of almost fortunate. It was so everything about it was just so undeserved for us in that moment. And I mean, you can see you could see like I think Clive said this in his love for words report. He gets so much quotes from us on this podcast, Clive. I hope we get some kind of sponsorship. Um, but he said something about... No, he's like, just paying well, Dan, that's it. Yeah, just Dan, yeah. Dan's the, <laughs> Dan's the only one. Um, but something about Rob Dickey, like, running, like, the length of the pitch, like, to celebrate him and Jimmy Dunn, like, ran the length of the pitch to celebrate, like, the worst goal you've ever seen. <laughs> to the point that, like, they almost weren't back in time for kickoff. And it was like... Yeah. Everything, everything in that moment just told me, "Oh my god, this only goes downhill." Like, it's um, very ben, much like from the isolated. You know, we were very lucky in that we didn't actually watch the full ninety minutes. From our isolated yeah. point of view, did you feel quite good when the goal went in? Um, as as I've said off air, um, I was in a, a, I was I was working working the weekend. Um, I was in a car with a photographer in uh, in Hairwine in the valleys. Um, I'd convinced him to put on the uh, the QPR commentary instead of the round the grounds radio. Uh, we scored. I went, oh, that's good. And we conceded, and I went, oh well. And um, we had to drive off, and uh, didn't really get a chance to properly listen to the well, second we half. We nearly so. conceded straight away. Like they went right up yeah. the other the other end, and we nearly conceded. Mm. And like, I mean, the the first goal they score. Like well, yeah, just, we, just before we, we get we, onto we, that, the, yeah. the highlights package on the BBC Sport website. There's one moment of, I guess, positive stuff from us, and that is the goal. Everything else is all Fleetwood, and I think well, that, that was it. That tells you the <laughs> story, the doesn't it? Like you don't need to watch this full ninety minutes to realise what's gone on here. That that was the only positive, though. Like it, it's not like BBC clipped anything. There was nothing else to show. There was one nice step over from chair in the first half. That was that was nice. <laughs> is that what we've been reduced to? There was one nice yeah. step over. Yeah, and I, and I have to say, to be fair, someone someone said that there was a comment about Field and Dunn being the only one that cares. Chair every week, he's not a big tackler or anything, but the guy doesn't give up, and he was getting like kicked from minute one to minute ninety, and he didn't shy away. He just didn't play particularly well. Um, so I think Chair deserves some credit as like one of, one of the good ones, you know. Yeah, but he doesn't he doesn't sort of like you know scream or sort of like pump his fists at the away end so he doesn't get that credit you know <laughs> yeah. are, we, are we reaching that level of snarky now that we're, I, I... Ben I'm always that level of snarky it's ridiculous <laughs> it really is like if there, if there is actually no one no one else does put more effort in for the team than Ilias Chair he's oh, yeah, totally, a totally, hard totally. hard runner and it doesn't always come off for him but yes. you know like it's just because Michael, we had a talk at the start of the season. I can't remember what game it was, but we were in the pub, we were in the Crown of Scepter, and we... Middlesbrough game. Middlesbrough game, there we go. And we uh, we sat down, we were talking to your brother, and we were explaining the whole thing around uh, Jimmy Dunn. And, you know, you were saying about people comparing him to Alan McDonald. Like, he's not... Well, that's it, isn't not, it? It's that, just because he's Irish, he's not that good. That's it, though, isn't it? People have... People have... There's there's a wider football discussion about that where people kind of create these perceptions of people 
kind of in their head based off past footballers, you know, like any any Brazilian with a bit of flair is the next Ronaldinho type thing. Um, you know, I, I I just I don't have a problem with Jimmy Dunn. I actually really like him. And I think he's he's like Ben said, I think as a set of four centre back options, I think we're actually really blessed to have some pretty good ones. I do think the the idea of Jimmy Dunn versus the actual reality of him, you can enjoy him a lot more if you actually just accept, oh, like he's just a decent championship centre-back that cares about QPR, instead of ballooning him into Alan McDonald, essentially. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, like, joke about snarkiness aside, I, I think it is the fairest thing in the world to say that Ilias Chair probably tries the hardest out of anyone in our squad. And I, th- I think uh, he's been maligned for one thing or another thing or another thing over time, whether that's holding onto the ball too long or whatever. And you can have criticisms of him, but he runs and runs and runs. And I no, think, I've, you know, any, any, game, sorry, any, any game that I've watched where he's been fully fit, I think I've turned to the person next to me and gone, Jesus, he keeps running, doesn't he? You know? Yeah. And I think that's one of the other things that holds him back. Well, not holds him back, but stops people from kind of giving him the credit is because he's not a tough tackling midfielder. He's not a centre-back. In this country, you know, we've kind of built this idea as the... The tough and hardworking guys have to be the the Terry Butchers with blood on their headband and stuff. Mm. And, you know, number 10s and strikers are all very mercurial and they're a little bit soft and that type of thing. When, you know, in reality, it's like Alex said earlier, you know, he's playing football barefoot as a kid. Mm. Like it it doesn't get much tougher than that. You know, he's not he's not the most vocal. He's not he's not, you know, Steven Gerrard. He's not John Terry, but he's a hardworking guy that will not give up QPR. Yeah, I did one time, actually, just in terms of getting in the ref's ear, one of my favourite footballing moments of all time, and I can't recreate it at the podcast, partially it's an audio medium, but there's one where he was really quite close to where I was sat, and um, the, the ref, I th- it was something to do with playing an advantage, where basically the ref made a decision that he should have made in our favour about 10 seconds ago that would have been in our advantage, but then killed off an advantage that we had, or something along those lines, and Ilias Chair does this sort of caricature, kind of mamma mia, hands together sort of gesture at the ref, um, and sort of in this sort of like scream-like gasp that he's doing, and I can't, I can't, you know, he may not get in the ref's ear enough, but when he does it, it's spectacular, I guess is my point. Yeah, okay, uh, let's talk about the, uh, the actually, just before we go on to their first goal, um, and we have mentioned it a few times, but Micah, you mentioned Andre Dezel picked up on the fact that he was exceptionally poor. And we talked last week at length about the problem of having Irabunim on loan. We're not getting him next season. You know, we've got to, at some point with the midfield that we've got or with someone that is going to play for us next season, you know, on a permanent basis, Something's gonna have to change where we can't. We're not not just relying on Aston Villa's youngsters to sort of provide us a midfield. Dazelle gets his chance. I don't know. I can't remember if Amos is on the bench, but we talked about it last week. Sort of like you know, Amos and Irabunum. What would you rather have? And then, funny enough, the next day again, we're gonna quote him. Clive Whitnam has in his piece that you know, if we're gonna try and get promoted, yeah, fair enough. Have Irabunum, but if we're not actually going to get promoted, we may as well just have Luke Amos and finish 16th. So there's this creativity issue, and Dazelle's a creative midfielder, apparently. But here you go is a sort of a really shocking performance on it, his path. It's 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 at the point now where it's like, listen, I, I like seeing a nice pass every six games, you know, that 
breaks apart a team. I also wouldn't mind like five, seven out of tens in a row. You know, if you're going to give me one eight out of ten every six games and then five, four, three out of tens, I'd, I'd just rather just not having you in the team, to be honest. What what does Andre Dezel want to do? Because let, let's, let's face facts here, you know, he's at crossroads in his career. He's 23, 24. He's been playing professionally since he's 16. You know, he was the biggest thing to come out of the Ipswich Academy. What what do you want to do with your career, Andre Dizel? Do you want to be the guy that plays like a nice five yard pass and everyone's like, oh wow, he's good, he's good on the ball, isn't he? Or do you want to actually like, do you want to go far? Because I'm sick and tired of hearing about players that have the talent or on their day. It's like, well, what? Why can't their day be every Saturday at three p.m.? Why does it have to be once every few weeks? Just. The, the thing that really upsets me more than anything with him in this game, and I've seen it more and more in the past few weeks, is the complete shirking of 50-50s. And again, I hate to be that cliche Brexit football fan, but if you're not going to win your 50-50s as a midfielder, you're not doing half of your job. Like, you, <laughs> like if you're happy to like not tackle, not protect the defence and leave it for the defence every single time because you don't want to get... You don't want to get your boots muddy or you don't want to get hurt. What's the point? Like, what's the point? <laughs> it's just, it's beyond me at this point. He's 20, I think 24 now, 24 years old. You've been playing since you're 16. And the accusation from Ipswich fans when you came here is that you've not got any better. That same accusation is being levied at you at a second club. Do you want to do anything about it? I don't know if he does. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh you know the harsh reality, isn't it? And if only he could have listened to that because you know we did an interview at the start of the season with him and it was very short. And I think me and Dan were both a little bit sort of cut off of how how short it actually was. And it kind of you know if you could translate a footballing performance into an actual sort of personality, it's the same. It's the same. What you see in the pitch is kind of what you got from him sometimes. Oh, we're, we're being harsh today. We're being harsh, but I'm going to be honest, Ben, it was a very short interview. It was, you know, maybe I've been spoiled because we had a Doma beforehand and a Doma was lovely. Oh, listen, we've had a Doma, we've had Barbe. Like, there's been, you know, you, you can't always be a... He, he, Andre Dezel is a good interviewer on his day. <laughs> <laughs> Michael is so disappointed that you said that. Uh, let's talk about their goal then. Um, we've mentioned him a few times already on the podcast, but Jimmy Dunn. Um, competition here, lads. Uh, how far away was Jimmy Dunn from his marker when the goal went in? Are we? T- um, I was in the South Wales Valleys and I was closer to it. <laughs> I mean, this is shocking. Like straight, near, near enough straight away. I'd say not but very close to being straight away, wasn't it, Micah? Like, no, I think like... they had a chance. They had a chance straight after kickoff and it went out for a corner. So almost as straight away as it gets. But I don't know. Um, it's actually Field and him that are doing it, marking the two players on not the edge of the box, but kind of like, and you know, one of them blocks up, somehow manages to block off, done. The other one runs around and he's. I mean, seeing it for the first time, I I honestly couldn't believe what I was watching. It it was so... I mean, it's so simple. I'm struggling for words to describe how bad it was. 
but just thinking about it, you're like, God, that's like 101 defending at corners, isn't it? That you just stay with your man. I've never seen a man so free at a corner. Ridiculously free. I don't even understand it. And I think the thing that kind of bothers me the most about it, I think you said already, is there's two people stood with him when he starts to run. There's two people stood with him. Nobody's taken, you know, not to invoke uh, our previous manager, but he did say it. Who's taking charge back there? There's two of you stood there and a man runs free. Like... It it felt like one of the one of the real low moments of the sort of Warburton zonal marking experiment. Like it really had echoes of that for me. And I, I I we'd need Dan on here to talk about exactly how we set up for corners and yeah you know, maybe we can convince him to watch another season worth of, of corners again. But I don't that Ben I, I don't think torture. anyone would yeah no to do I that, no, <laughs> no. Um, but um, but no it was it was very much player moves from area A to area B and uh, defenders assume that the ball will kind of be beautifully floated in towards their own heads, and it wasn't. You know what? It, he's actually so far away from done that when he makes a contact, you wouldn't actually sort of blame him for missing because he's so surprised that there's no one there. I was surprised. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> just sort of like, if he missed it, I mean, yeah, fair enough, because you're expecting contact, and he's probably going to look around going, where is he? Where's he yeah, going? Like, you don't even get ahead of that free in kids' football. That's that's how free that header was. Yeah, I mean, we can, you know, analyse it deeper or we can, you know, try and be really smart about it. But to be frank, it was a really shit bit of defending. Like, that is it. You can't, you can't sugarcoat it. You can't say anything else. It was awful and it yeah, deserves to be awful. That's the thing, like we we like we, we said about like getting Dan on here to analyze it. Dan can analyze it like all he wants. I'm sure he'd just come back and say it's awful marking. It's just terrible marking. Like it's it's and you know, the second goal, not to jump the gun again. Second no, goal fine. is let's man, go into the second goal. Go on. Yeah, the second goal is the same thing. A man flicks on from the corner in complete open open space. It's like what's the first thing they say about corners, you know, beat the first map. That's because the first man is stood there to stop the ball getting in the box. Why is the first man a Fleetwood player? That is so unacceptable. And that's not even the worst part because the guy flicks it on, everybody misses it, and then there's someone else stood at the back post. Not completely unmarked, but in more than enough space than you need from a corner to finish it. It's just like, at this point, like, you know, at the end of last season, it was comical, like the amount of set-piece goals we conceded. At the start of that season, it was concerning. Now it is a serious, serious problem. Serious problem. Because even though we didn't play well, without those two set pieces, we win 1-0. And we probably wouldn't have deserved it. It probably wouldn't have been the best thing for us to win that game. But the facts remain. We, we can't concede this many goals from set pieces. We can't give teams a free shot at us every single week. Mm. Yeah, no, you're right. The, the, you know, there's, I don't know, is there a solution to it? Yes, there is actually. It's just them defending better. But like, I, at the same, like at the same time, it's kind of like, I get, you know, when Bill was talking about mentality issues, and I was kind of saying about that there just needs to be a lot of practice of this. I don't know, like, 
again, it's this culture thing, isn't it? It's quickly becoming part of the club's identity that we're really poor at defending from set pieces. Like, it doesn't matter who you put in the QPR shirt. Like, surely, teams, surely teams earmark us now as like, oh, we've got QPR next week. Let's focus on, let's just focus on set pieces and trade. Let's focus on our corners, our indirect free kick. I mean, you know, you say that and we do make jokes and we've made jokes and I'm sure people on Twitter would have made jokes about this in particular player, but we have got Reading coming this weekend with Andy Carroll. Like, you know, say say what you want about him. He's still a massive lump that I'm sure would get on the end of a corner. Um, you know, I just... It's really difficult to, to go anywhere with this, isn't there? Like, there's nothing else that we can say... It's really bad play. What what else do you want us to say? Because I'm lost. I kind of, you know, again, it's just a shambles at the back. I'm lost for words about it. Ben, any any sort of no? I'm comment? I'm also lost for words about it. I mean, you know, just to, to jump on on the point that Mike made about um, teams must look at us. Or I can't remember which one of you. Said, sorry, it's been so. Uh, there's so much discussion of of, of set pieces. I'm losing my Mike. mind a bit. But right, it was Mike. Yeah. Um, even if teams have never watched us play, statistically, it comes up. You can you can look at the most basic of sort of reports on the opposition and go, yeah, corners, let's go. And that is a worry. Um, and I've got not much more else to say about it. Even really. in game, they could probably do it, couldn't they? They sort of have the first corner. Oh, yeah, oh, let's no do another f- one. That was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, they'd be like, oh, God, let, we need to get more of these. Like, come on. <laughs> they won't actually be taking shots. They'll just be waiting for Powell and Laird to be in a position where they're close enough to the... The, the line for that they can ricochet a ball off them to go off for a corner. Like that, that's what it's going to come to. People aren't going to try it's and like the, collect, beat us from open play. It's like the opposite of the Rory Delap thing where the teams used to kick it out for a corner instead of a throw in. <laughs> they're just going to be desperate. At any point in the pitch, they're just going to try and find some contrived way to, to squeeze a corner out of it. Anyway. Uh, very quickly, let's move on to some transfers then. Uh, we've got one to actually talk about. We've made a signing, uh, Jamal Lowe, uh, a player that. <laughs> If, you know, on the face of it, this is a really good piece of business, probably. Even though it's only for the season, you've got a sort of oven-ready championship player there that unfortunately hasn't played much this season at, at Bournemouth, but hopefully hits the ground running with us. Um, but when you dive into the history around it, you know, Lowe was actually at QPR as a very young lad, uh, but Micah, you can explain what happened after that because you found the article yesterday that explained what happened. Uh, do you know what? I found it a few years ago when he was at Swansea because I have a friend, Yoan, shout out to Yoan. He's a big Swansea fan. So he was like, oh, did you know that um, our striker used to play for you a lot and he got released? But essentially the story goes is that he came to QPR. I think he said this in his club interview as a... Uh, 14 year old as like kind of like a striker left winger which is obviously what he is but obviously we had Raheem Sterling at the time so it just didn't quite work out and the pathway was blocked and I think Sterling's two years younger than him as well so I think at the time the club kind of weighed it up and was like we're taking the 12 year old kid that's playing in our under 16s <laughs> over um over Jamal Lowe but you know to his, to his credit you know he got his head down um and you know Clearly didn't need us in the end. I mean, he, he went, he, you know, he did the journey in non-league. Um, the, 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 fun, the funny thing about the academy thing is that, like, as we said, you can have more than one good player in your academy. Like, you don't... Yeah. 
if he can also, I don't exactly know who was in that squad at the time, but you're telling me that it was only Sterling or only Lowe. It wasn't like you were, you could find another position for Jamal Lowe in your side. If he was that, like, obviously I'm looking at it with massive hindsight, but in that moment, surely if you're weighing up sort of like them two, he's can good I enough for another position. Slightly play devil's advocate here. Well, you're going to anyway, so you may as well. Yep. How how many clubs didn't see anything in Eze or didn't see enough in Eze? Like it's Quite not. Uh, you can you can, you can you can you can look at it with this much hindsight, and and we weren't the ones watching him play when he was 12, 13, 14. and I think it's but, a difficult one to. I mean, yeah. and, and 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 also QPR being an absolute basket case at that moment in time. Like, I think that's just yeah. kind of a write off of history. Really, should it be more? We're looking at yeah. it that it's amazing a player like Raheem Sterling even came close. Out, you know, even came at the fact that Raheem Sterling started at QPR is a minor miracle at that time because we would have probably, if it was him or someone else, opted for that someone else. But for that one time, we actually got it right. We we did actually pretty pretty much nail it. Yeah, yeah. I th- I, th- I think so. And also, then having sort of chatted earlier about like how valuable is an academy education and what does it teach you, what does it not teach you? The fact that he's then gone and played in non-league, maybe that's what made him the player that he was more than anything yeah, that he yeah. was at the point that he was in our academy like so i you know i i, I sort of hesitate a bit on that um that school of thought really yeah i'm, in, I'm, in, agreement, I'm in agreement with ben in and just quickly i'm agreement <clears throat> in agreement with ben in that regard you know because there, there's a lot of people that stay in academies for years and years and years that are supposedly more talented and end up don't play in so it was probably a necessary part of his journey i imagine so how is Lowe going to fit into the team? I assume straight into the eleven on Saturday. Yeah, well, I saw, um, courtesy of Jack Supple, uh, Jamal Lowe scored all three times that he's played at the Majeski Stadium. So I would hope he goes straight into the team based off of that. Um, I I quite like the sign-in in that he has played as a 10, he's played as a left-winger, and he's played as a striker. Um, he's got a little bit of pace and a little bit of flair about him. Um, so I think the versatility will be quite useful. I'm quite I'm quite excited actually by this signing. I think this is probably the best we could have done in our circumstances. Ben, your thoughts on the signing? Yeah, good, happy, super super familiar with his with his sort of game. Um, but he's a player that's kind of continued to be like upwardly mobile in his career. He's been liked wherever he's been. He's he's you know he's got a promotion on his CV even if it's not one in which he played like the most pivotal role ever. Or actually, he got more goals last season than uh, than I realised. That's seven goals in thirty nine games, which includes twelve starts. So that's not not too bad, I suppose. I mean, his minutes per goal, like looking at that, it's not spectacular. It's nothing to write home about. It's not. I I I, I don't want to make comments on him without knowing that much about how he plays. He's not going to suddenly magically bang in every single chance that we've got, but. Yes, but from everything that I've seen of him, I'm happy with it. It's a decent signing. Yeah. Um, I don't, like Mike, I said, best we can do in this situation. I think, as we had touched on previously, you know, the, the only disappointing thing is that we, you know, Hampton and Richmond, the club before we went to um, Portsmouth, that is so within our catchment area that we're sending goalkeepers there regularly to go out on loan to this season. Seni Dieng, I've gone and seen QPR play there in a friendly um, so not only did we have him and let him go, but then we also potentially, I don't know, at some point maybe saw him and then decided again, no. Um, so that is, you know, this is a, uh, in reality, a transfer that should have happened so so much time ago. But, you know, 
it's sort of similar to the Adoma situation. Uh, very quickly, though, guys, before we go, can I have your sort of like transfer rumours that you've been seeing or just completely make one up? Make one up. Well, right. this one is seems like it's out of the books of fiction uh, and it's not. There's another Matt Smith, which we were talking about off air. Um, kind of so we've, had, we've had big Matt Smith. We've had little Matt Smith. Um, then there's a Matt your... Smith who's been sort of knocking about in League One. Look at your um, yeah. I tweeted mid podcast the Brendan from is, Bristol. Yeah, this is not Matt another one. Smith that looks like Martin Od- Odegaard. <laughs> yeah, Arsenal have cloned him, haven't they, and given him a generic yeah. English name. And he's also something peep behind the curtain here. We sometimes have little gaps in recording, and in one of those gaps, my friend Maya was texting me about this, and she's pointed out he is one centimeter taller than little Matt Smith. So we've got medium Matt Smith on our hands. <laughs> medium Matt Smith. Um, <laughs> again, that, that I'll, I'll give that one to my friend Myra as well. That was not from me. Um, there's a few other Matt Smiths out there. You've got Matthew Smith, who plays for Shelbourne in Ireland. Doesn't count. Uh, He's he not is, willing to refer to himself um, as Matt. years old, centre-forward. Centre-forward. We need one. Well, the one we're signing is technically a Matthew on FOTMOB, which I'm not taking as gospel. Um, then you've got the other Matt Smith that's been knocking around in League One for a little while. Um, I believe, uh, although I can't find him now, but he's also played for Doncaster Rovers, as well as our little Matt Smith that we had that played for Doncaster. It's very, very confusing. And then you've got um, 39-year-old Matt Smith. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and then also something that we've pointed out and I've spoken about before, Matt Smith, Doctor Who, was a, a, an academy footballer. He was on course to be a professional footballer. I think there was an injury there. So name your kids Matt. So if your surname is Smith, name your son Matt. And then it'll be a footballer. I think the simulation is just getting lazy, to be honest with you. The exciting thing about this, uh, Matthew Smith, though, is that his middle name is Gerard. So, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, he, but, he, but, he's, but he looks like Martin Odegaard and he plays for Arsenal. You're mixing your metaphors there. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think we'll we'll, stick, we'll just stick with the Odegaard one. Yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> not make it any more complicated. The interesting thing about uh, this Matt Smith is that he's 22. So he's kind of at that age where it's like you can't really play for Arsenal reserves for much longer. So I think we've been linked as well with Leighton Clarkson from Liverpool, who's quite highly thought of at Liverpool. So that is definitely a rental. I wonder if the thinking behind this, Matt Smith, um, is, you know, we can get him on loan and there's a chance we might be able to keep him because he's clearly not going to make it at Arsenal. Um but I don't know. It's it's a rumor for a reason. You know? Well, you don't have to answer this, but you know, I did make a joke a couple of weeks ago when Bill departed us that the big talking point was where is Elijah Dixon Bonner? And you know Oh my god, I forgot about him. <laughs> where is he? <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot about Because if you want to sign he's, he's gone to a... live on the farm that Hamzad Kargbo and Rafferty Pedder and <laughs> All these others go to live on. If you want to sign, like you know, a midfielder from an acad from a big team's academy, and uh, if you feel like that's a familiar story, it's because we only did it like five weeks ago, and he hasn't seen. I think he's done some nice little moments pre-match in the fan zone. <laughs> at the... <laughs> but that's it. Elijah like... Dixon Bonner highlights, and it's just him like doing keeping up with some eight-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> Like, 
I don't what? like taking the mick out of players. We've done so much of that this but week. This is it's, it's... so bizarre, like this signing. When we're desperate, we can only we we only want to ever play sort of two of our four midfielders available to us at the moment. We've got another one that's just been signed and is of a decent age. I know he's probably played a lot of academy football and we know different to the rest of them, but you sort of think, God, if you need a little bit, you've got a little, you've got a new signing there. Why aren't you using him? What What is wrong with this guy that cannot, that we can't pick him? It's, it seems odd. Um, but we'll leave this. The last position I felt we needed more bodies in is the middle of midfield, to be honest with you. I'm very concerned about le- left-back depth, and I think we all should be. I'm not sure why maybe the club isn't. Um, and obviously, we've gone and got that striker now. So um, it's beyond me, unless the, they've decided that the Dizel experiment hasn't worked or maybe Johansson's off at the end of the season. I'm not sure when his contract expires. So I, I couldn't tell you the thinking behind this one. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to sit and talk to you a bit more about this, but... Uh... We're all frustrated with this podcast in more ways than one. It's been a painful experience reliving Fleetwood. Uh, the, the small glimpses that I did get of that game, have, I don't want to really think about that ever again. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to end this recording here. Um, preview for for uh, Reading is that they also play in blue and white hoops, and we don't like that. Um, apart from that... Thank you very much for listening uh, and until next time, come on you us.